Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. On today's episode, we discuss and break down my thoughts and opinions on the Olivia Wilde-directed 2022 feature film, Don't Worry Darling, which has had a bit of a controversial mixture of opinions uh, from social media fans and also critics alike. Uh, So this film stars Harry Styles, yes, the pop star Harry Styles, and Florence Pugh, who, those of you may remember Florence Pugh from the likes of Black Widow as her breakout role, at least for many pop culture fans, as Yelena, the sister of Black Widow, as she first appeared in Black Widow, briefly in Hawkeye as well in the TV Disney Plus series. Uh, We also get Chris Pine and Gemma Chan, and who, if anybody knows, obviously Chris Pine's been in loads of things, but Gemma Chan, again, for any Marvel fans out there, uh, she played Cersei in The Eternals, so she's made a bit of an appearance as well, and they're just a couple of the names to mention in this film, and including as well Olivia Wilde herself, who directed the film, but she also starred as a character in this story as well, so she came up with the film, and she, well, directed it anyway, and she starred in it as well in a small little featured role, which becomes slightly more important as we get on to the rest of the film. Before we get started, let's remind you guys to keep following us on our social medias, at Tate97Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, specifically Instagram is the home. We do like to do most of our stuff on there, such as polls, questions, queries, anything, you know, anything in between where we get to discuss films and just to have a bit of fun and sharing some images and our favourite stills from the films that we discuss on a regular basis from the episode. So keep following those. But for now, let's get started on the episode. So don't worry, darling. Let's just say I I heard a couple of things about it, but I didn't see any spoilers for it at all. Um, but based on the trailer alone, just to sort of sum it up for you guys, uh, the film is set, it's in this idyllic 1950s little community project town or community town of Victory in California. Uh, so a town called Victory based in sunny California, uh, and it's a company town where basically people live in this town and they work just outside of it as well. Uh, so it's all like a little bit like very reminiscent of um, that little town or at least the look of it. The look of the 1950s town reminds me very much of the Edward Scissorhands style of production design went into Tim Burton's film from Edward Scissorhands and also from the opening sequence of Indiana Jones as well, which was actually set in the 1950s itself. Um, but this is, you know, it's very deceiving throughout the entire time. We're opened up with this 1950s idyllic setting where, you know, very old time, old fashioned sensibilities are being introduced into this narrative. And we're introduced to Harry Styles is Jack Chambers, Florence Pugh, his wife, Alice Chambers. Olivia Wilde plays a character called Bunny, who's one of the fellow uh, neighbours in the community town. And Bunny is also a very close friend of Alice's, and we'll learn more about her as we go into the film. Chris Pine plays a character called Frank, who's like the leader of this organisation, which has organised this big project the victory project as it is known as throughout the entire film along with his partner dr collins who apparently founded the victory project from the very beginning and essentially the story follows a group of people who live in this small town uh, and it's you know it's called the victory project ran under a man named frank and it's an experimental community and all that happens really at first as what we see is that the men go to work they say goodbye to their wives on the driveways in the morning they drive away in these very luxurious looking very well produced designed 1950s cars 
and they go away to work and they all head out into this big desert towards a big, like, I don't know, like a monument mountain type thing where Victory Headquarters is based. And that's all we see of the men. They just go off. We don't see what they do for work. We just know that it's to do with, like, engineering work of some description. That's all that's really said. And that there's a great cause to be had. And these men are the ones that brought their wives and significant others into the establishment of this Victory Project. And we're a little bit dubious about why, you know, how can something be so perfect and idealistic and so old-fashioned then? Obviously, when we were introduced to this film, we were established that this is set in like a 1950s headspace. Uh, Harry Styles has got, you know, his traditional British accent, you know, he's just talking proper British and everything. It's very strange considering what happens later on. And I mentioned the British accent for a reason, and that will come back later. But just to warn everyone, this is a spoiler-based podcast so please if you haven't seen don't worry darling don't listen onwards until you have so pause it now and watch the film and then come back okay so what happens essentially is we're all in this perfect world and eventually alice played by florence Pugh, suspects a couple of odd things going on specifically around the character you know a, a close friend of hers as well called margaret who is played by kiki lane and she's a close friend of Alice's, but she slowly but surely is going off the rails. And we learn as we go through the film that she lost her son. She went out into the desert where the men are only allowed to go. Only employees of Victory, which is the men, are allowed to go out into the desert towards Victory headquarters. And she went out that way. And apparently they, the anonymous they, took her son away from her. Which is very chilling actually considering what's actually really happening with this story and what was revealed later on but as i say spoilers ahead but we're introduced to this you know community where we see harry styles and florence Pugh's life as a perfect couple absolutely you know she makes him dinner she does all the things like a 1950s housewife would normally do so we see this little grouping um a new couple welcomed into the town of victory uh, we see billboards as well saying that fa- victory phase two is approaching so the town is going to expand but we get this new couple that come in and they're inducted in a bit of an unusual way apparently according to the ways of the town the character of frank played by chris pine and his wife Gemma chan play uh, who play it plays the character of shelley Uh, who's Frank's wife throughout this entire thing, Uh, they welcome this new couple in and they draw all the couples, a selection of the best couples together from the town, including Jack and Alice. And they are seen to be there, and obviously we witness Margaret going a little bit off the rails, and something's not quite right about it. And Alice starts noticing things, and eventually we are introduced to a scene where she goes out to Victory Headquarters herself, and she's introduced to something that she's not too sure what's going on with. She ends up going out into the desert because she's on a bus ride. She goes out after several scenes of her doing the housework over and over and over again. We get to see her go out because she's on a bus and the bus driver won't drive out because she sees a plane crashing. Ironically, the thing about the plane, there's lots of theories about the plane, but I'm, I feel like the plane is very representative of the penny dropping of the illusion being broken Uh, and essentially she follows it to go and see if they need help and then she sort of gets sent back into the town but she still remembers what happened ever since then she starts to look deeper and deeper into things and also the other thing about the plane as well is that margaret's son in the clips the flashback scenes that we see of her and her son in the desert he's dragging a 
toy plane, which looks just like the one in the sky. So, I don't know, it's, it's somehow that that plane is a manifestation of the, I don't know, the illusion being broken, potentially. That's one thing you could say about it. And the reason why I say illusion being broken is, and this is the big spoiler, is that it's actually revealed that, you know, after several bits of drama that escalate between Jack and Alice, at one point Alice has to break free of the world, then, of this town she doesn't want to be a part of it because she's a bit suspicious of why things are happening she starts seeing margaret after she tries to kill herself so she slits her throat and falls down but everyone tries to cover up for it uh, and jack gets a promotion eventually and you know it, everything's moving too fast for her and she's thinking everything's a bit off there's something off with victory and eventually she discovers and we discover that none of this is real and that is the twist the twist of this film that none of this is real and it's all just a simulation the world of victory the town of victory is all a simulation created by a bunch of men who want to maintain a sense of control in their lives and they don't want like the unpredictability of the real world because during the film the real world is referenced they say oh we don't want the chaos of the real world we like the the organization and the calm and the lack of chaos in our organized world and we discover that Jack, actually, by the end of it, you know, is keeping Alice living in this world against her own will. And she's tied up to a bed in some random apartment, stingy apartment place. I think it's her apartment, but she's locked away and being forced to stay in this world by Jack. And the same is for all these men who are keeping their wives and girlfriends in this space but one person breaks the rule and that is bunny because bunny knew about the simulation the entire time and bunny actually played by olivia wilde she says her reason for staying is so that she can spend time because she has two kids in this world she spends time with the children that were taken away from her now be they it's not really explained whether they're dead or whether she had an abortion or you know she made the wrong choices in life or you know, something happened to the kids, be it to do with, I don't know, a defective birth or anything like that, or they might have just died in an accident, a tragic accident, for instance, before they could grow up. Uh, it's never quite explained, but basically she is there and lives in the world of victory so that she can escape and spend time with her kids in an idyllic fashion that she always wanted to, even though throughout the entire film she's always saying, oh, these kids are driving me crazy. Like, all the time she's sort of saying, oh, but and then she turns around and says, I wouldn't really have them any other way. She admits to Alice that she knew all along about Victory. Even when Alice started questioning things about Margaret and whether she actually died, even though everybody kept saying, did she really die? It's a bit of a weird one. And that's why I want to bring up this film, because it seems like such a simple story that a man is trapping, you know, there's a lot of, with Olivia Wilde, obviously, She's very much a feminist director. She's only done two feature films so far. The first being Booksmart. So the lives of two teenage girls experiencing their, the end of their high school careers as they move on into womanhood or at least into college life and growing up and coming of age. This one is very much taking it for a much darker turn. This film is a psychological horror in some respects, but, you know, a psychological thriller then in so many ways, you know, it's a dystopian way that, you know, it's every woman's worst nightmare that this 
is how men would rather they keep their women and control their lives, you know. In a way, this film is basically, to not to sell it short too much, but this film portrays men as being very lazy in some aspects of their character. They are failures and that they aren't as good as women and they're also very possessive and jealous in some respects because they want to maintain that balance of control and power that they hold over the household. I feel like a lot of the thing that's being addressed here is that these men are men that want to be that archetypal idea of what a man used to be, where a man provides for the house. And in this sense, Jack, obviously, in the real world, is keeping... He's American, he's not British, he chooses an identity, so he chooses a British identity, inducts himself into the Victory Project. It's almost like a cult, to be honest, the way we're shown it, when we are revealed the full picture of what Jack has done to Alice. And, you know, he, he's got a, an IV line drip feeding her liquids, and he puts water to her lips every now and again. It's just really sadistic and really weird and very creepy. And even the appearance of Harry Styles, like, he's so sharp and suave as Jack Chambers in the 1950s victory world. But then you see him for what he is. He's got long hair, glasses, beard, like, like unshaven non-clean cut he's very you know he looks like a really creepy pervy computer hacker and at the end of the day this film i bring it back to the the feminist themes and the themes of olivia wilde so you know very much female stories this if booksmart is the film that gives girls or at least some like teenage girls then going into their university college years the empowerment to be who they want to be and go on to do what they want and live their best life this film is very much a reminder of the threats which women used to but also still face to this day in a world of what if this woman was trapped by the man that she loved in an idealistic world that was based on his own fantasy and you know, there's so much we can read into this and argue about it because at the end of the day, Jack is trapping her. He is keeping her bound into this world of his own creation. Well, of Frank's creation, but in his own headspace. And, it, you know, I, to be honest, it's very barbaric by the time you get to the end of the film, really. You think she's tied up and she's being forced to stay in this world. And, you know, whenever the men go to work, they have to leave the simulation and they rejoin the real world and they somehow engage with the world so they can pay for or at least contribute to paying frank back for the, their membership to the victory project or something like that. that that's where it doesn't sort of really make sense really like what do the men do like do all the men actually have real jobs on the outside world and are they you know paying frank for this service or is it literally just like a members only club and it's just a case of as long as you take the oath it's fine, which is what it seems to be. But I just think that it's a very sadistic viewpoint, basically portraying this section of men of the world, like this collection of men who have decided to come together and think that they're better than the rest of the world to help regain some control back from their failure that they have accumulated in their lives. So basically, we're actually shown that, you know, Florence Pugh's Alice, who actually turns out to be, you know, her name's not Alice Chambers, her name's Alice Warren, so they're not even a married couple. She is portrayed, you know, she's a surgeon in the present day, and she's a very successful surgeon. She loves her job, uh, and that's what comes out in the argument towards the end of the film between Jack and Alice, is that she loves her job, 
Uh, whereas he was like, you were always gone. You were never home. Uh, yeah, basically, that old-fashioned way of thinking, because he was he was trapped, he, he was stuck at home, he wanted to actually go out and do something, but he wanted to live his best life, as it were, with a load of like-minded people. But it took a turn for the worse, because ultimately, and this is, the, you know, the spoiler ahead for this one again, because I've already spoiled the twist with it, that this world is not real. It's describing this sense of helplessness in the sense that he felt helpless because he was an unemployed waste of space. But he wanted to be someone, be part of something. And then he joined the Victory Project to improve himself without ever having to leave home, essentially, apart from maybe occasionally to go out. That's the one thing I'd say with Olivia Wilde. People, the critics, criticised her direction of the film. I think it's just to say that it's not the perfect film, but it's enjoyable, to say the least, that it's an interesting, entertaining psychological thriller from start to finish. You know, you started off with this idyllic town, which everyone thinks it's the story set in the 1950s, but it's not. And then we escalate to Alice's intensity then, as she discovers the truth and... It's almost like a cat and mouse act, really, between Florence Pugh and Chris Pine. Frank and Alice are at loggerheads, but, like, mental loggerheads. Alice knows something's up. Frank knows that she understands that this isn't all it's cracked up to be. But he wants the gratification of her finding out and to be outsmarted, but then only to chuck her right back down to the bottom of the stairs again by wiping her memory. And that's what he tries to do. But essentially that doesn't really work because the memories are still sort of, they're there, but, you know, she was treated with electroshock therapy in the sort of, I don't want to call it the dream world, but, you know, the simulation. But then she's ultimately, I, I, I don't know, it's very, it's it's a horrible sort of way. Like when you realise it, when I realised it was a simulation, like, I thought it was something like The Truman Show, maybe, because this is the thing. I'd compare this film to the likes of The Matrix, uh, so, like, the, the false reality and the real world and stuff like that, and being trapped and plugged into something, into a simulation that's very Matrix-like. And then we've also got this side of things where it's very much like The Truman Show, because The Truman Show, the way everything was set up, it was like the 1950s, and it was like this perfect world, and... It's encased into this one space where as soon as you start getting to the outer limits, you start to lose your way and you can't escape because there is nothing beyond the victory point. Like, you can go around in this world, in this simulation, but it's like a game. Every game, video game, has its sides, like its walls where you can't get out, and that's where the boundaries are. And that's very much like what this is, this simulation is. You know, they get to the victory headquarters, as it were, which is the gateway, the portal to exit the simulation and it's the same with the Truman Show they there's always boundaries because you know the dome is there's a boundary there's a set of steps which leads you out of this dome this idyllic world so you know comparisons I can make to the Matrix and also the likes of the Truman Show and things like that it definitely is something that I applaud and think is done in a very simple yet effective way but I I think there are some things like you know the open ending isn't something that, I mean, I can question it, because by the time you get to the end, obviously, I'll, I'll tell you more details about this, we eventually come to Jack and Alice having their final confrontation, and Jack is ultimately killed, and when, when you die in the simulation, 
your brain dies on the outside, as it were, at least for the men, anyway. That's something that's not quite clear. Like, did Margaret, who killed herself much earlier in the film, did she escape? Did she wake up because she killed herself in the reality? Or did she die outside of the world? Because it was the men's responsibility to keep the women all logged up and logged into this world, then, shall we say. I think it's safe to assume that they basically die. Once they die in one world, they'll die in the outside world. It's the classic simulation video game style of storytelling in that respect. Even though she's not going for a video game effect, Olivia Wilde, she's going for the more misogynistic, controlling environment where the world is run by men. And that's, yeah, is in a way kind of similar to the way The Matrix works because this higher power, in this sense, it's these this culty group of men are controlling these women and their lives and making them do what they want because they feel like they've lost control. So in a way, it's a look at fragile masculinity and also, you know, empowering women to uncover what is really underneath the surface of this shiny, perfect persona. It's very close to relating to, you know, celebrity investigations where we look at these perfect celebrities of, like, yesteryear and we discover that these people are just... Not all they seem, but also very dark and mysterious, even though they seem quite perfect and generally good on the outside. So, at the end of the day, this film, we see that ending where Jack is dead, but Florence Pugh, I have to say, you know, she does a cracking performance throughout. I think her performance is very standout. Harry Styles isn't the best. He's not the best actor, I will say this now. He's been in a couple of films now. He's in My Policeman, I think it is. I haven't seen that yet as of the recording of this, but he might have a bit more range in that. He had a little featured role in Dunkirk, in Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, and he was also featured at, right at the end, for anyone who doesn't know, as Eros, the brother of Thanos in The Eternals, which was all right. It was a short little cameo, not much. Uh, but this one, I feel like... His acting as Jack in Victory was very wooden, and it wasn't the best. But at the same time, it was a interesting performance, to say the least. The chemistry of Florence Pugh undeniably did work at times, uh, but he was the weakest link in it, I would say. I would personally say, you know, Florence Pugh is the standout role from all of it. Olivia Wilde, even though I don't know her history, but Olivia Wilde's you know direction of this film and the... The visuals of this was perfect, I think, personally. I don't know why critics panned it so much and said it was as bad as it was, because overall it's it's just over two hours. It's a pretty enjoyable film. It's a bit of fun, really, but also with a serious subtext message saying, be careful, watch your back. Not everything is all as it seems, as it were. It's a very shady view on men, then, in general, or at least some men. Uh, men of importance and people who... You know, you just need to be careful of these men who are, or anyone in general, not just men, women as well. People who are very in themselves and uh, so soaked up in these little groups, so like online chat rooms and stuff like that, where they truly do believe that they are the most important thing in the world and that they could do better than the rest of society. And it's kind of a scary view on a reflection on society. So I think Olivia Wilde does a cracking job in portraying this story, or, you know, telling this story then. And I think she does, a, although she's directing this, I think her role as Bunny was really good. I actually thought she was a very standout character. Next to Florence Pugh, she was a very interesting side piece then. She was very witty, very sharp, very 
elegant but also very sassy and very evil at the same time in some respects because she was so desperate to look out for the community and she was always there to be like no you shouldn't do that you know the rules and stuff like that and when it's revealed that she knew all along that she was just doing this for the sake of Alice because she'd grown close to Alice I suppose that was a nice little nod to say this is who she is she was sticking up for her friend but at the same time she also knew so she was corrupted as well she was corrupted by the fantasy of having her children back and that meant that she would just overlook the negative side of how all these women including um, a character called Peg who's forever pregnant like she never gives birth none of the children in this universe in this simulation are real that's the heartbreaking thing none of the children are real yet some of the people with kids believe they're real and then Peg don't know what happened to Peg in the real world but she must have like, I don't know, they must have lost a baby then. And the husband must have enjoyed it when she was pregnant, when she wasn't going to work. So he kept her in her place and made her permanently pregnant and was always keeping her at home. So that's one dark side to the character of Peg, who's forever pregnant. Uh, the same goes with, you know, Alice. Keep her at home because we need to see this woman back where she belongs that's the cold-hearted sadistic view that jack's got because he was a failure and he never got to go out so why should she and also he didn't like her being out late at night he wanted her at home for when he got home and he wanted that feeling of control and that's what's happened in this film so at the end of the day this film is really dark and serious and deep and you know so much different to olivia wilde's first effort in Booksmart but I genuinely think visually it's beautifully shot some of these things like I just love some of the sequences that we have like you know the death of Margaret was a gruesome thing altogether and I thought it was absolutely you know well done very spooky and very creepy you know almost like a horror film but on a realistic basis and the other thing I like as well is you know other visuals we have the Alice's visions when things the cracks in her mind start to break open when she starts to realize things aren't all they seem she has visions of a black and white visual of a load of dancing girls which are dressed like they're from the 1920s uh, and it's almost like a project a projection you know we're, like we're looking down onto it or looking up at it and it turns out that's what's used to bring them into the world because very clockwork orange like another reference there Alice has got her eyes wide open with these like metal clasp things she's hypnotized basically as she goes into the world and I love the visual which is used in all the trailers of these black and white sequences of these dancing girls who are also part of this way of bringing like the method of bringing the women into this virtual reality then uh, that she's trapped and it's actually projected onto the ceiling of the room that she is trapped in in this weird bed which almost looks like a hospital bed it's very clinical and very cruel at the same time it's like trapping her in something that's so pure because it's white and very ghostly but ghostly then because it's so eerie because of the floating flowy curtains then and the black and white nature of, of you know this is good this is bad she's going into the darkness as it were kate balant as i mentioned the character of peg who's always pregnant she's you know really good very much almost like katherine hahn when she was in one division where she played the nosy neighbor very much like that bunny's loss of children again very heartbreaking but to me i think my favorite thing as well visually i love the 50s aesthetic the production design is amazing it's beautiful then i think i would say the thing that nails it for me is the car chase at the end 
where Alice is in Jack's car. She's just killed Jack. And then she's being chased by these, like, NCPs or whatever they are, these men in boiler suits and also Chris Pine and the Doctor and everything. They're all coming for her uh, until <laughs> until Gemma Chan kills Frank <laughs> because she's fed up of it now. And all the women start to realise that their eyes have been covered and blinded by this lie, this big, massive lie. And then we see Alice driving off into this desert, big, massive car chase. I love it, with all these 50s cars going across her empty desert with the sun blaring down on it and it's really intense as we get to the end before she ultimately escapes and then we end it there does she actually escape or is she does she die lying on the bed because jack will be left dead next to her in that bed how would she escape did she i i don't know whether i remember this correctly but i think she's still completely strapped in so she wouldn't have been able to escape and it's an open-ended question that you can really think about oh would it be good to explore that in a sequel personally i don't think so i think the open-ended nature of it and also assuming that she would be dead by after a few days of not being fed anything or being treated by the man that was locking her up because he used to you know give her water feed her the iv drip it, it's safe to say that she would come to a gruesome end eventually but the ending all we do we, we cut to black she escapes and we hear that breath and that's where it just is so intense and so brilliant like that realization of she's out but really is it something good or something bad that awaits her i think ultimately it's something bad so i'd rate this 4.5 out of 5 stars it's not as bad as the critics say it's definitely something worth watching and it's just enjoyable at the end of the day so honestly you know it's got some feminist subtext themes in there and some interesting discussions to be had about uh, control in relationships, at least in heterosexual relationships between a man and a woman. Uh, there's probably more that can be said for other areas of the spectrum as well in terms of romance and just human relationships with each other as well. But in this case, between men and women, it's very much that sense of people trying to gain back control when they feel very lost and helpless, reverting back to very animalistic and very horrible backward ways of thinking. So that's all I have to say on Don't Worry Darling, really. Visually, 1950s aesthetic was beautiful. The Matrix and Truman Show references and a little bit of Clockwork Orange as well in there. Brilliant. I absolutely loved it. So, but there are some points where it's a little bit fuzzy in terms of the narrative. But other than that, overall, a brilliant effort from Olivia Wilde as her second feature film. And I'll be happy to see what she does next. Let's see if it gets better, gets worse, indifferent, who knows. But for now, that's a wrap on Take 97 the Don't Worry Darling review edition of the podcast, and I will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening. See you later.